meeting in Boulder. The next speaker is Al from Boulder, Colorado. Um, I guess, I guess I'll start. Good evening, everybody. My name is Al, and I am also a grateful compulsive overeater. Um, I live in Boulder, Colorado, and um, it's been service that got me to connect with so many people here that I, that I recognize now from various meetings and doing service at, at meetings that I also attend. So thank you, and, and I appreciate the opportunity to give back. And Jerry, I believe you're the timer, and you'll be giving me 10-minute notices, I think. Could you also give me one just two minutes before my time is up? Be glad to. Thank you. So uh, let me do a few qualifications. Um, I'm coming up on 16 years in program. I currently weigh, I don't know exactly, and I don't know exactly what I weighed when I came into program, but I, I believe it's at least 200 pounds less than what I was when I came into program uh, almost 16 years ago. So let me tell you how I got to that. And then I'll tell you how I am now where I am. Um, I, well, I can't remember a time when I didn't love food and food sort of loved me back in that it gave me a lot of satisfaction, but it also made it very evident that I loved food. Even from the time I was a kid, I can't remember ever shopping for clothes with my mom, except in the Husky section of the, of the uh, department stores. So right away, I was labeled from the very earliest times that I was different than other kids. And I, I got feedback, you know, you, you, you could use to not eat so much. Um, my grandmother used to offer me, I'll give you a dollar for every pound you lose. I never got a dollar from my grandmother during all that time. Uh, the first time I actually went on a diet that was officially a diet was in high school. I was kind of ambushed into it. I was seeing a doctor for something else. And my mother said to the doctor, um, what about Alan's weight? And the doctor said, okay, let's deal with that. And he gave me a diet. And I had one of those tests like Catherine was talking about and uh, it wasn't fun, but did it. And they didn't find anything for other than I eat too much. Uh, and they gave me a diet and son of a gun, if I didn't lose weight and I was close to a normal weight for a while in high school, but that didn't last. I can't tell you why it didn't last, but it didn't. Um, and I continued to gain weight. I went into college significantly overweight and didn't lose any during college. And then I decided my senior year of college um, that that would be a great time to go on a diet. And I decided I would do it starting on my birthday, my 21st birthday, I started my diet. And, and it's significant, we talk about Mondays and my, my uh, milestones for starting things are not as, as uh, often as next Monday, it's January 1st, my birthday, and there may be one or two others, but I, I don't even try 
many other times than that. So on my birthday, I decided I would start losing weight and I went on the Al diet. Now, please, please don't look this diet up and please, whatever you do, don't follow the Al diet. Um, the Al diet is, well, if cutting back on calories is a good thing, why don't I cut back on calories a lot and I'll lose the weight that much faster. And so I went to 300 calories a day. And over the course of three plus months, I went from 240 pounds to about 170. Um, so I can lose weight. I can eat, I can eat almost nothing for a long period of time, but I can't do it forever. And during that time, I was crazy. Of course, I may have been crazy other than that time, but that, that did not help. So I, I know that I've come into, when I came into OA, I started hearing about people who were anorexic or bulimic. And I said, well, that's not me. But during that time, I absolutely was anorexic. I, when I thought I was at a goal weight and ready to start easing back into regular food, I couldn't do it. I, every, every time I eat, an extra 100 calories a day going up to 400, I thought I was gaining weight. And so it was very hard for me to, to get out of that anorexic frame of mind. Um, fortunately, because of all the health issues that anorexia can, can lead to, I've never had that experience again. Unfortunately, I've gained a lot more weight since that time too. So I left college um, at a normal weight went into graduate school and the weight came back on and it came back on and it came back on. And so my, my previous top weight was 240, as I said. It wasn't until probably 15 years later that I finally decided I'd had enough. I saw an ad in a newspaper for a weight management program uh, sponsored to a hospital. It was an outpatient program. Uh, they taught nutrition, they taught proper ways of eating, positive reinforcement techniques, a few negative reinforcement techniques. And they, and I walked in and they said, okay, we're going to weigh you and we're going to weigh you every week. Oh no. But they weighed me and I didn't know how much I weighed, but that day I found out I was 350 pounds. Um, but they gave me the tools that worked for a while and I became the star pupil in that class. And I went from 350 pounds to about 170 pounds. Yeah, I don't remember exactly how long, probably nine, 10, 11 months, something like that. And they said something else that I really appreciated. They said, you know, getting to a normal weight will not solve all your problems. I said, well, okay, but at least I won't be overweight anymore. So I, um, I, I went on the program was to start people and noticed that those other problems weren't going away. They weren't getting any better, but I finally was able to, um, get some help. So I find helped me start doing some of some of the other problems. And I started making friends. I didn't have too many friends before that. And one of the friends I made said, um, Hey, I'm going to this meeting. Um, and I'd like you to come. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, I'm in Al-Anon and it's my anniversary. And I had no idea what that was. I sort of had a clue about Al-Anon. I had no idea what anniversaries were. 
So she got me to this meeting and it was in a church. And I was not happy about that prospect. Um, I, was I was brought up in a uh, Jewish and I didn't feel comfortable in, in churches specifically, but I was in this church and I'm in this room where people are talking about stuff. I have no clue and I don't know why I'm here. And on the walls, they had the 12 steps and I'm reading the 12 steps and I said, hmm, oh, there's that G word. Not so happy with the G word. Kept reading down. Oh, there's that G word again. Not so happy with the G word. But next to it were these 12 traditions. And I started reading the 12 traditions while they're yabbering away about something. And I started reading, hmm, that's interesting. Hmm, that's interesting. These traditions were saying to me, yeah, we might be in a space that looks like a church, um, but we are not a religious organization. And we are not gonna tell you what to believe and what, how to spend your money or, and, and give us all your money, anything like that. So that, I didn't know it at the time, but that made it eventually a safe space for me to come to when I, when I was finally ready to come to 12-step to programs myself. And it wasn't that much longer until another friend said he'd been going to an OA, to a 12-step meeting, not an OA meeting, and he'd found it very helpful. And I, I might find it helpful too. And I, I did, and I hadn't really thought I identified with that particular issue, but boy, as I started learning more about that issue, I said, yeah, I think I have that. Uh, so I went to those meetings, um, didn't really understand the steps, didn't work the steps, but they handed out a, a meeting list for all the other meetings in Boulder, and there on that list was Overeaters Anonymous. Now, at this point, I'm at a normal weight, but I said, well, I'm, I'm kind of like in these meetings, can't hurt. Let me try out the OA meetings. So I went to the OA meetings and I started going. And I don't know what I got out of those meetings. I really don't know. But I was there for probably three, four years. And my, my weight stayed normal. So the first time I was in OA, I went in at a normal weight. And I walked out at a normal weight. 10 minutes, Al. Thank you. I walked out at a normal weight. But... Now, this is absolutely just a coincidence. There's no relationship between me walking out of the rooms, but that was the time I started gaining weight from normal weight. And that uh, I didn't go back uh, for 10 years. Why did I walk out of the rooms? Somebody said something, I didn't agree with it. I was unhappy with them and what the implications for me I walked out of the rooms. Uh, we read tonight the, the, the 12 traditions and the 12th tradition it says the spirit uh, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I had let personalities get in the way of principles. I walked out of the rooms and just a coincidence, um, 10 years later, I was over 400 pounds. 170 pounds, 400 pounds, you can figure it out. So that brings me to, thank you. That's a picture of me before that first time through. I don't have any pictures of me. That's before, that's me at about 350. Um, I don't have any pictures that I can find of me over 400. And I should also qualify that I think it's 400, but I don't know for sure because I was too terrified to get anywhere near scale 
or anywhere near a doctor who might want me to get, get weight. So the only reason I say it's over 400 is because I know what I was wearing when that picture was taken. And I know that I was so many sizes larger than that when I finally came back. So what was it like during those 10 years? It got progressively worse and progressively worse. At its worst, I worked at a job that was 25 minutes commute from home. And during that commute, I would drive on a, on a major commercial strip that had a couple of grocery stores and a number of fast food places. And by the end, it was, I would stop at one of the fast food places, pull into the drive-in, get two full meals, eat them on the way home, and then go home and have dinner, two of them. And I was convinced that I needed to do that, that I couldn't make it all the way home without having that. That's how insane I was at the time, that somehow I wasn't gonna survive 25 minutes without two meals in my, in my, in my body. So what happened? I knew I was killing myself. I knew that I, this was unsustainable. And I knew that what I, everything that I had thought I might do to solve the problem hadn't worked. And so I finally decided, why don't I give OA another try? And I looked up the meetings at the time and there was a meeting that I had gone to in the past. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed that nobody that I had seen before at those meetings 10 years earlier would still be there because I was too, too full of shame to face anybody who might perhaps recognize me and, and uh, what they would say, what would they think, and what would the look be on their face. So I, I wound up walking into that room, okay, just a coincidence that it's January 1st or January 2nd of uh, 2006, just a coincidence. And it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do was to walk into that room. So I was so full of shame. I had completely failed. I was completely demoralized. I now understand the gift of desperation that brought me to that space. But at the time, it was miserable, horrible. And I walked into the room, I scanned the room. And fortunately at the time, I didn't see any faces I recognized. And someone came up to me and said, hi, are you a newcomer? I said, yes. I said, well, we're so glad you're here. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that somebody would welcome me into the space when I was feeling so awful and so full of shame. And to this day, that person, I believe, saved my life. Had someone said something other than that, or given me a, a sideways look when I walked into the room, I might have run out of the room. I might have waited until the end of the meeting and run out of the room and never come back. And if I hadn't have done that, I probably wouldn't be alive today. So we never know what's, what service, what things we do that can save a life and just welcoming a newcomer, just giving a smile to anyone we meet can save a life. So please, please keep that in mind. So what happened at that very first meeting besides that was I heard one of the things that Catherine talked about. I heard our invitation to you. 
Now, I had been in OA for four years, a long time earlier. I don't remember ever hearing anything like what I'm going to read to you right now. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but key parts of it. We of Overeaters Anonymous have made a discovery. At the very first meeting we attended, we learned that we were in the clutches of, of a dangerous illness and that willpower, emotional health, and self-confidence, which some of us had once possessed, were no defense against it. I had never heard those words. Probably they were said, but I'd never heard them. And especially clutches of a dangerous illness. Illness, what are they talking about? I just can't stop eating. I just don't have enough willpower. I can't do it. But they're saying it's an illness and that willpower, emotional health, and self-confidence were no defense. Well, I had plenty of willpower. I could survive on 300 calories a day for months. I could go from 350 to 170 pounds. I've got plenty of willpower, but I don't have infinite willpower. And so my willpower wasn't enough. Emotional health, mm, probably not so much of that. Self-confidence, yeah, sort of self-confidence, but it was more bravado. It was more like showing, uh, being uh, egocentric to hide my um, insecurities. But I didn't have what it took. And they're saying, this is a dangerous illness. Well, this is different. Maybe I ought to pay attention. And that was the other thing that I, that I did when I was in those rooms, that first room was, I clearly can't do this on my own. Everything I've tried has worked. I have failed. So I guess I've got to listen to others if I have any hope of, of surviving. And that's all I cared about at that time was surviving because I thought I thought it was gonna So. So I, I, I became willing. Something came over me in that meeting that said, Al, be quiet and listen and do what the folks are telling you to do because these people have the solution and you don't. We have learned that the reasons for the illness are unimportant. What deserves the attention of the still suffering compulsive overeater is this. There is a proven workable method by which we can arrest our illness. Wow, there's a solution here for me. I pay attention and, and, and do what they're telling me to do. And I hadn't noticed it at the time, but since then I've noticed arrest our illness. We are never cured of this. We have what the big book calls a daily reprieve, conditioned on our spiritual condition. So the, it's right there in the first two paragraphs of our invitation to you. And then it goes on to say, can we guarantee you this recovery? The answer is up to you. If you will honestly face the truth about yourself and the illness, there's that word honesty. Yeah, it's not cash register honesty. It is being willing to tell the truth about what, what's going on in our lives, what we do with food. I was astounded at what I was hearing at that very first meeting. People were talking about the way they, they behaved with food. I would never in a million years acknowledge any of that to anybody. I was so full of shame about what I would do with food. But here are people talking about it and being willing to share it. And these were people who were recovering, people who had what I wanted. And I said, I can't do that today, but I hope someday I'm, I'm willing to talk about what I do with food. And I gave you a brief example of that earlier on in my qualification. And later on, I heard someone say at a different meeting, it was a workshop, and she said, I am your garden variety volume eater. I said, whoa. And she was small. 
a little little woman. And I said, oh, I can't believe that she said that. And, and it made such a difference in me because I mean, while I can binge on sugar and flour, I can also binge on many, many other things. And so just cutting sugar and flour out of my diet is not my solution. It's fine for those people for whom those are the trigger foods. I'm not saying what you should or should not do. I'm simply saying that that's not the issue for me. I can binge on just about anything. I have been known to go to the refrigerator, get a jar of mustard and start spooning it out and eating mustard. So if I need some, if I need a fix, I'll find a fix somewhere. So I don't abstain completely from sugar and flour and don't abstain from mustard. It's- 10 minutes, Al. Thank you. It's volumes of food. So I have to do that. So it goes on to say, uh, if you'll read our literature and that of alcoholics with an open mind, and most important, if you are willing to rely on a power greater than yourself for direction in your life and take the 12 steps to the best of your ability, we believe you can indeed join the ranks of those who recover. Okay, well, I can do the 12 steps. In fact, I haven't told you, but I was in other 12-step programs for a while. And after I left going to most meetings, I still was in a, a, a step study group that we worked the 12 steps over and over. Every year, we get a new book from the, from the bookstore. Here's how to work the 12 steps. And we do it as a group. And I, I know these 12 steps backwards and forwards. They didn't have a damn thing to do to say to me about food until I became willing to acknowledge my powerlessness over food. And then I started over with 12 steps with respect to food. I now have people that are in my life who talk about being uh, in, in other um, addictive substances groups and they're all, they also appear in OA. And they say, you know, they've got years and years in those other programs, but the credits don't transfer. They have to work this program as well. And so that's what I'm doing is I'm working this program. And another thing in that paragraph, and to take the 12 steps to the best of your ability, it does not say perfectly because that's what I try to do in my life or I try to do in my life. My life was all about perfectionism. My life was all about never making a mistake, getting everything right. And when I finally get everything right, then I can start liking myself and loving myself. And until then, I better do what I learned as a child, which is if you don't get it right, you get punished. And through that reinforcement, you learn to do it better next time. And my parents are long since doing the punishment. It has been me for quite a long time that's been punishing myself. And I learned in this program eventually how to stop punishing myself and to start loving myself even though I'm not yet perfect, probably never will be. So that's another message right here in our invitation to you. To remedy the emotional, physical, and spiritual illness of compulsive eating, we offer several suggestions, but keep in mind that the basis of the program is spiritual as evidenced by the 12 steps. So it's emotional. I had emotional issues. It's physical. I certainly had physical issues and spiritual. You know, I worked those steps and I thought I had a higher power, but was I ever turning to my higher power for, for guidance in my life? I wasn't. Did I have a higher power that I really relied on? I didn't. And so I had to be working those steps. I had to take step one and then my powerless over food, powerlessness over food. I had to uh, came, come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. 
with respect to food. Can this higher power that I had worked on for many years, can that really help me with food? And then step three, am I willing to turn my will and my life over to that higher power with respect to food? Took a long time. Took months and months and months. I did not get struck abstinent anytime quickly. I had a sponsor and we worked, we worked on my food plan and we worked on the steps, but I was not struck abstinent. And I'm very grateful that my sponsor was willing to work with me on that and to start working the steps, even though I wasn't abstinent at the time. I was getting better. My, my, I was no longer hitting the fast food places for two extra meals on the way home from work, but I was certainly not eating appropriately yet. Um, and over time it happened, which causes me to think about, um, I was just at another meeting earlier today and someone was talking about not having that aha moment. And I got to share with him that uh, at the back of the big book, there's appendix to uh, spiritual experience. And we can get the impression from reading the big book that um, people are struck abstinent, people are struck so sober, and that they have this immediate God consciousness. Well, mine is not like that. Mine is more of the, the educational variety. Over time, it grows and grows and grows, and other people sort of notice it before I do. And that has certainly been the case with me. It was, oh, things are changing. Oh, my life is better. Oh, my clothes are fitting better. Huh, wonder why all those things are happening. Maybe it's that I'm working this program. Maybe it's that I'm listening to what other people are telling me. Maybe it's that I've got a sponsor and I'm willing to trust my sponsor. Hmm, maybe there's something to all this. So from this vantage point, we begin the 12-step program of recovery, moving beyond the food and the emotional havoc to a fuller living experience. As a result of practicing the steps, the symptom of compulsive eating, symptoms of compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors are removed on a daily basis. I always thought that they'd, had, they'd written that wrong, but now I read that as compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors are symptoms of my problem. My problem is I can't live life on life's terms. And so I turn to my old pal, food, to alleviate the problem. And, this, and this, the fact that I'm turning to food or, or compulsive food behaviors is a symptom that I've got a bigger problem. And now I, my solution to that problem is a spiritual solution to that problem. And then the part that really got me. Achieved through the process of surrendering to something, to something greater than ourselves. The more total our surrender, the more fully realized our freedom from food obsession. Surrender. You want me to do what? You want me to surrender? How powerless do you want me to be? But I was in, one of the things I was willing to do was come back and do what you told me to do. And one of the things that was suggested was get to a step study. And I got to a step study and we read the big book. And when we ever came to a word, we would always look it up. And we looked up the word surrender. And one of the definitions of surrender is go over to the winning side. Whoa, I can, I can go over to the winning side. That's not a problem. I don't have to acknowledge that I am the weakest thing on the planet and acknowledge that to you. I can go over to the winning side. Great. That helped a lot. So I know I'm, 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 
I, I, I'll just jump out here, but I'm too weak. I'll never make it. Don't worry. We've all thought said the same thing. The amazing secret to the success of this program is just that it is weakness, not strength that binds us to each other. Weakness. I am no longer ashamed to say that I am weak when it comes to food. I am powerless over my life. And I am not ashamed to say that anymore. Because when I do, when I do acknowledge that, I find you guys. And you guys taught me how to live. You guys taught me how to work this program. And you guys taught me that I've got a higher power that gives me direction in my life. And it's given me things beyond my wildest dreams. I've got so much gratitude. So what have I got? I don't know what I weigh today. I sort of know, even though I don't want to, I've, I discovered earlier in the program that it was not helpful for me to know my weight. Early on, I didn't want to know it because it would terrify me. Later on, I found that if I knew my weight and it was higher than I thought it should be, that I would be- Two minutes, upset. Al. Thank you. If it was higher than I thought it should be, that I would be upset and I'd maybe go to eat. And if it was lower than I thought it should be, I'd go celebrate. Yay, I'm doing so great. And I'd eat. So me knowing my weight is not a helpful thing to me. It is not something that I care to know. Recently, I've, I've had to see doctors and along the way, I have learned my weight, even though it's not something I seek out. And it's not bad. It's not goal weight yet, but that's fine. I can tell you that it's been uh, in the positive direction for quite a long time. And surprisingly, over the past year and a half since COVID, it's gotten better. Why? Because I've been working the program, working the gifts of the program, especially things like sponsorship and service. And um, I can't speak enough for service and how it's kept me connected and how it's given me uh, joys. And uh, I guess with that, I, I see, see Jerry's light lit there. So I'm assuming that I'm just about out of time. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share time with you and for helping to celebrate this holiday of, of, of gratitude and thankfulness. That I'll pass. Thank you very much, Al.